Hello, everybody. Welcome to, I mean, a pretty recent episode. I mean, we're, we're, for being such a sporadic podcast, we're doing a good job. Two podcasts relatively <laughs> close together uh, to the Anxious in Austin podcast. Um, I'm Dr. Marianne Stout, and I'm going to introduce you today since this is a different kind of podcast. This is that my colleague and friend, Dr. Thomas Smithyman. And yes, this is going to be a little bit different podcast than our typical conversation because um, this is a big deal. I'm going to be interviewing you for your new book that just came out, which yeah. we're so excited about. And, you know. Thank you very much. It's such a big deal. Why don't we start with like maybe some of the basics, the title of your book, what, what it's about, kind of what is the, the gist, the elevator pitch of your, of this awesome new book that you have written. It's been long. Sure. Yeah. I, I have no elevator pitch, but, uh, the title is dating without fear, uh, overcome social anxiety and connect. So, uh, that's the title. Um, the, I guess the summary of what it is. So it's a, it's a social anxiety book. So it's a book about overcoming social anxiety. And it is sort of specified in the examples to the context of dating and sort of initiating romantic relationships, since that is one of the big areas that social anxiety um, gets in the way of for a lot of people. Yeah. So that's so, a, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. It's like, who is mm -hmm. the ideal audience or who's like, who's going to pick up this book and really find that this is great for them or kind of tailor-made for them? Who's your ideal mm -hmm. reader? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, um, I think it's, like, it's useful for anybody with social anxiety because the principles apply regardless. Um, but if we're talking like ideal, um, then it's for people where their social anxiety gets triggered in potential dating situations. Um, because there are some specific pieces of information, definitely the stories, um, specific studies that are targeted to those particular concerns. Um, but of all, you know, so they will get, I think, a lot out of it. Um, and really, I mean, I've gotten this from the sort of the, the feedback too, that people who don't have, who aren't as triggered in dating or uh, at, the, at that time in a relationship are still getting something out of all of the content because it applies for all types of social anxiety. Sure. And, I mean, right, all types of anxiety in general, when you think about it, like some of those very same principles apply the beauty of a, totally. a CBT and exposure therapy model, that it, it works for mm -hmm. lots, lots of areas of avoidance and anxiety. It does. It does. And it's, uh, it was funny too, because I, I had, um, I had a friend who was, um, reading it for me and he was like, well, I, you know, I don't have any social anxiety, so it's not really going to be very useful or, or anything, but, but I'm going to read it to support you. And then he texted me some time later saying, Oh, actually, this thing in chapter three applies. Oh, and this thing over here in chapter four applies. Sure. Because like we're all humans, right? And there's a like it's so many human like universal issues that we're dealing with. Well, and it makes me think of like how prevalent 
social anxiety is, right? The most common anxiety disorder there is. And so, yeah, it's something that we all as humans can relate to. Even if we may not have like a specific social anxiety diagnosis, we all experience some totally. of these, you know, fears of of being rejected mm -hmm. or judged or cast out. Oh, or, you know. Totally. So, I mean, it's very human, right? I mean, I even like, I, it's not like I, I, I title the book, Overcome Social Anxiety Disorder and Connect, right? Even though the disorder is so common, the experience of, of social anxiety is like, I mean, it's almost universal. And so I think everybody can gain from these things, like from learning about this stuff and like questioning some of the sort of the underlying beliefs they have. Because um, there are times where maybe it's not coming up that often or it's not getting in the way that much. Sure. But you can still benefit from um, from kind of working on these things. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's like such um, universal times when we experience uh, social anxiety, even when it's maybe we wouldn't even title it as that. I think of like any time anybody's yeah. giving a speech or performance or having a uh -huh. job interview or going on a date. Right? Yep. These all mm -hmm. These all trigger these... Everyone feels these, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like with very rare exceptions. Mm -hmm. but yeah, those those are. It's, it's funny you mention those because those are the three most common uh, situations where social anxiety is triggered. Mm -hmm. Is in early dating interactions, thus this book, public speaking, and job interviews, mm -hmm. because there are all these situations where we are we don't know if we're accepted or not, and we care about whether we are, and. You know, those come up at particular times. A lot of the time we might put ourselves in situations where we're kind of doing things to people where we already feel accepted mm -hmm. and we're not putting ourselves out there. But public speaking requires that. Sure. You know, job interviews require that. Mm -hmm. And so does dating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think those pieces too are helpful yeah. for when people like, I can't understand what it's like to experience anxiety or, you know, dating anxiety. And you're like, well, have you ever been on a job interview? <laughs> you know what this feels like. Yes. <laughs> well, and I yeah. know you personally yeah. and I've known you for a long time and I've worked together for a long time. So you have been working on this book, I want to say probably pretty much as long as we've known each other, if not longer. Correct. Yes. What? I'm longer. curious, like... <laughs> I don't have a book in me. I don't have the drive to write a book. And so I'm curious as to like what uh -huh. made you so interested in writing this book? What made you stick with it for so long and, and want to get this oh out there? God. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there. Are, I don't know. There, there's a, a hundred different answers to that. Um, you know, because as humans, right, everything's like multiply determined. There's always multiple factors. But um, since you were like saying what made me kind of stick at it why is it finally out now after let's call it 14 years of trying to write it <laughs> perseverance um yeah so like why persevere right so um one i think the obvious obvious one is well you know i really want to help people you know which is why i have the job that i have and why we do podcasts all the time and have YouTube channels, you know, it's putting things out there that are going to help people. Um, this particular book, though, in order to do a book, like, you've got to be pretty obsessive about something, right? Determined. determined. Especially. That's the... Determined. Determined, yes. That's a nice way to put it. 
um, you got to be pretty determined about it. Um, and like for me, where that comes from is this was really for me the the, the biggest personal anxiety um, thing that I struggled with. So, like I, uh, you know, I'd always tell people that um, you know, uh, like both of us are anxiety specialists in general, and it was very rare that somebody would come in with some anxiety complaint that I wouldn't be like, ah, yeah, okay. Sure. I kind of, I know, I, I know that. that to some extent. Yeah, you know, I can relate to I've something. had a little bit of that. Yeah, I've had that. I, I can understand it. Um, but the social was really where it was, it, it was most relevant for me and for my life. And, um, you know, and, and I, I definitely get so, in some areas more than others. Um, I would feel social anxiety at some particular contexts, but the dating, the dating anxiety, so the anxiety in like dating context was always the worst for me. That's where I felt it the most and it's where it had the biggest like impact on my life. So um, it's not like I started out wanting to write a book. I was just trying to figure it out for myself, mm-hmm. you know? So like I, I have... Um, you know, I get a bit obsessive with things, and you know, it's a it's a strength as well as a problem. Sure. Um, and like it's it it's a strength in that I was you know really de- kind of determined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and rip and and I love going to research to figure things out. I love um, doing little experiments on my own to kind of test things out. I love kind of sharing these things with people. So I think it like it all kind of fit together, and it meant you know over the course of um, I mean, it's got to be, a, it's at least 20 years that I've been like sort of obsessively researching and testing and treating people for it. So um, the personal relevance was what first got me like looking stuff up and looking stuff up. Mm. And after a while, it just, you know, it's just, it's just something that really connects for me. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's um, socially anxious and, or has dating anxiety or any form of it, I really, like, it really gets me excited to work on it because it's, you know, I have a lot of empathy for it. Sure. Um, and then also kept me coming back, doing more and more research, trying to put together my model over time, like reading everything I could, um, seeking out training. So very relevant. Yeah. Well, I'm also curious then, since it has been such a long span that you've been working on this and interested in it, are things now drastically different then when you first started doing research and, and work on this, like over the past 14 years, because I could imagine that things mm-hmm. like the internet and social media and, you know, dating apps have sh- exacerbated or at least like changed the game a bit relating to social anxiety and dating. Oh, I, I see. So you mean does, you don't mean is my experience, you mean, you mean is the, experience yeah. of dating anxiety different yeah in in your Pro- decades probably. plus of research <laughs> i just because right like i could imagine yeah. like the research on this and how people experience kind of the hows of dating and hows of avoiding anxiety mm-hmm. were different 20 years ago like it's not like dating specific anxiety social anxiety is this hot research area 
where we can look at all the ways the nuances that have changed. No, they had like a big rush at some point and then like in the 70s and then it kind of dropped off. And then like a lot, like my book is like, I had to go find these pieces myself. I had to use the social anxiety and then look for all the dating relevant information, mm. pull it from other areas, like where there were social skills things or like spectrum related stuff, like mm. interpersonal communications. Like I was, I wasn't just like going and reading three books on dating anxiety. I'd go track all this down. Like create um, it. So yeah. So that, so that's why the, um, the, oh, how is it different now versus then? Yeah, it's hard to answer that research wise. There isn't this just tons and tons of research on dating anxiety, social anxiety. There is, um, things have shifted over time. Um, and it's, there's been a big increase in, um, research, um, over, you know, the last, whatever, 15 years, uh, dating though, like in at least working with people, Mm-hmm. Yeah, in working with people, dating anxiety, I mean, the, the the ground is different. You know, like 15, 14 years ago, one, there were no apps, and people didn't really do, like, you know, it was Match.com or whatever, but people didn't really do it. People were pretty embarrassed about it, and so they would hide it. Um, and how did people meet each other? Like, there were, I remember doing, like, looking at some, tome of a book that was about how do people meet the people they end up married to because mm. it was like a sociology research yeah book um and i mean i'm trying to think back to many years ago but i believe it was through mo- mostly through work mm. and through school and through um like network contacts sure. a lot of times like churches or community mm. but i see you were meeting them in real life because they they were in your area, you connected with them. You had these interactions in your normal life, um, and there was the well. Let's say you are at a job where that's not going to happen, or you're not at school anymore. There's no one in your immediate work, um, sorry, in your immediate like life network where you're going to meet people. Then you got to go try to find it. So. And you're trying to go to social events and you're trying to go to bars and trying to go to parties and all these kind of things to meet people. Obviously, nowadays, there's an app, a few apps. Mm-hmm. And from, from talking to people, it's almost like it's weird to not meet on an app. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember it's someone at some point, I can't remember when now, uh, I read something that I thought was very funny where they were like, They'd seen somebody somewhere, like out, out and about, right? And they're like, "Oh, I wish that person would show up on my app," because mm-hmm. the idea of like an just going up and talking, <laughs> meeting in, and, in real life, is so yeah, foreign. seemed seems so foreign, yeah. And and I I grew up in a time, you know, when in order to meet somebody, you had to you had to meet them, you had to go up and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you weren't going to meet them. Well, I guess that makes me think of like two things, because that's Part of what I was thinking of with that question is like, have safety behaviors changed, you know, even from mm. 15, 20 years ago to now with the invention of mm-hmm. apps and social media and internet and stuff, but also maybe like taking a step back of like, for those who don't know, or who are not po- regular podcast listeners of this podcast, 
Mm-hmm. How would you describe what, what safety behaviors are and what, what do those tend to look like in dating anxiety? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So have safety behaviors changed? Uh, that's a, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, dating apps are, I mean, at least they used to be safety behaviors. They were mm-hmm. a, a way of, a way of uh, meeting somebody without the, the scariness of having to go out there and do anything. You could do it from a digital distance. I always think of you know, that's, when, when we ran yeah. a group together and you would talk about that um, all of Silicon Valley is basically people with social anxiety. <laughs> like, how <laughs> yes. can I connect but I don't actually have to connect with you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, how can I live my life without actually looking at or talking to another human? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So safety behaviors are anything that we do to try to protect ourselves from a feared outcome coming true. So in, a so, in social anxiety, it's going to be how, what am I going to do to protect myself from uh, having my flaws revealed and getting sort of rejected and feeling bad? Um, and, I mean, people would recognize this in all the things, like basically what are they worried about happening and then what do they do to prevent that from going wrong? Um, and there's, I mean, obviously the larger like avoidance of just don't go anywhere or don't talk to anyone, but um, safety behavior is more like, well, I am interacting, but I'm still protecting myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm protected while socializing. And in, in social anxieties, especially dating anxiety, um, a lot of it's in... Uh, where I notice the big problems are like communication related things. So not sharing who you are, trying to, trying to hide the, the flawed aspects of the self. So, so the parts that we think are imperfections or will reveal flaws, trying to do tricks to kind of hide those things. So very commonly trying to hide um, emotional content so if you're feeling anxious trying to suppress the anxiety or cover it up somehow um and i do see it in trying to appear more you know confident or relaxed or cooler um some of that but the specifics i see a lot of issues with are around the the communication so like that process of self-disclosure um, so like my model of connection, which I think this is very relevant, my model of connection is, um, you start up near the surface of, of topics and there is this gradual mutual self-disclosure. So one person self-discloses, the other person accepts it, you know, instead of being judgmental or critical or whatever, accepts it. And then that person reciprocates with their own self-disclosure. And starting off very positive and very light. And over time it gets, you know, a little, little more negative stuff can come in. It gets revealed. And uh, stuff that's more like lower level, more depth comes out. Revealing stuff that's a little riskier or a little more personal. And so this is the method of connection. This this 
reciprocated self-disclosure and you sort of wind your way down over time. And you wind your way down because when the person accepts you from self-disclosing, you've shared something about yourself, whether it's, you know, an opinion, an experience, um, you know, whatever it is about you, and then they're accepting, then that feels really good to us. And it makes us feel safe and that makes it feel easier to reveal a little bit more. And so that's how we get closer to each other. So wind our way down this. And a lot of the safety behaviors in social anxiety and dating anxiety cut this off. Either because um, you're not self-disclosing, you're not showing who you are. You don't want to give your real opinion because maybe it's not going to be liked. So you try to figure out what opinion should I reveal? Like, what should I say about myself? How do I present myself in the best way? How can I be the person that this other person will like versus how, you know, being my true self? So it impedes, um, it impedes the expression, that self-expression. And therefore, it's a, you're not known by the other person. And, and, you know, you also can get a bit on the other side of not asking questions. Because being curious and asking questions are what get the other person to self-disclose. And then showing acceptance and warmth, asking sure, so follow-up a, questions. A two-sided. Encourage that. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. just me disclosing about myself. It's me disclosing, but also mm-hmm. being like genuinely interested in the other yeah, person. Yeah, being curious. Yeah, being generally curious and, and like, you know, being warm when they do, you know, and accepting the other person. And so this, this back and forth is really important. And social anxiety, the fear will lead people to think, well, I can't reveal these flawed parts of myself. I can't let these things be seen. So I'm going to put on this filter. I'm going to filter out what I'm going to say or what I'm going to show. And those filters are safety behaviors. And in the dating anxiety world and the social anxiety, those are the biggest problem because you can't connect. If someone doesn't see you, there's nothing to connect to. And it makes you more anxious. Using the safety behaviors actually make you anxious. Okay. I think I know the answer, but why is that? (laughs) Why would using safety behaviors make you more anxious? So, you know the answer because <laughs> you do this all the time. But, I mean, there's multiple reasons. One is that in order to sort of uh, protect yourself, you've got to be self-focused. You've got to be imagining how you come across to other people. And that ratchets up our anxiety. Um, it can make you more anxious too because safety behaviors uh, a lot of times are counterproductive and they sort of look weird and they actually make having conversations harder. So it just it, it, it's a more stilted, more difficult conversation when you're like protected and trying to analyze the whole time. Mm-hmm. It makes it really hard to communicate. It's much, much easier and less anxiety provoking to just be able to say whatever comes to mind, to just think out loud. That's a lot more relaxed. Um, but then, so that's the short term that escalates anxiety. But over the long term, um, if you are protected and you don't actually show your true self, then you can never get accepted. 
Mm-hmm. You can't find out that the imperfect, flawed you is still acceptable mm-hmm. and still lovable. So there's still and this belief that like, oh, if I were to say these things or show these pieces about me, I would get rejected. Yeah. And so it still perpetuates totally. and feeds that that belief. I'm not testing it out to totally. see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so over time, right, you can, like, this is where the whole concept of safety behaviors came from was, was this um, noticing that people were socializing, but were not getting over their social anxiety, even though nothing bad was happening to them. And it's because of just that belief you mentioned. Oh, I survived thanks to protecting myself with what I showed, what, what I said, the way I dressed, I, I, I hid my hands. Yeah. I and therefore, to not show my blushing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If people saw this flaw, this imperfection, then it would have gone horribly. I would have been rejected. So you still carry around that same fear. So that's what we're trying to, trying to change, right? Is you want to drop those protections, drop those safety behaviors, and start to show more and more of the self. Um, because it lowers your anxiety in the moment, helps you connect a lot more, and also lowers your anxiety in the long term. Mm-hmm. So since some of this was, you know, learning about this for your own dating anxiety, has this mm-hmm. helped you? Has working from this model helped you personally? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, definitely. Like this... This book is really like a lot of it is it uh there's a lot of my personal experiences in there um which are from a particular span of time um because I was a you know I grew up in Australia um for the most part I was at an all boys school um a very like it was an all boys school where like the nerdiest people in town were all put together <laughs> and the the nerdiest specifically boys in town um and i lived and like people would come from a long way away i lived a long way away mm. it took me like an hour and a half each way oh my goodness i had the wonderful dating life that you would assume would come with that um but all i knew were a few uh really nerdy boys who lived far away um so i had very very little experience with this and um so my experiences were showing up in the US, having really not interacted with um, a girl who was not my sister. High school is six years in, in Australia. So oh my gosh. Six years. Yeah. Um, so from that age until I basically showed up with like no idea what I was doing. Discovered a whole, <laughs> a whole lot of dating anxiety when I suddenly tried to engage um and no idea what was going on and so between then and um kind of my late eh, not like mid mid late 20s um i was like trying to figure this out and so given that is there doing like a it all specific myself example from the book that you could share or give i just think like you shared so much in the book about like uh-huh. your personal experience or uh-huh. you know experience of clients but as you're talking yeah. about like your own experience going through this yeah. is there like a favorite uh-huh. one example in the book that you had my favorite one's also the scariest one but um <laughs> I, okay but I, I do think it is maybe the most important one because it really did sort of mark um 
kind of the end of me having done this. I, I will say too, like that this is one of the answers to the that why did you write this book question mm, mm. is that like I went through so much pain and struggle and effort and energy trying to like get over this myself and figure out how to get over it um, that I was a whole time through trying to write this book. I really had that in mind of like I, I wish I could have not had to go through all that and I wish that I there was like <laughs> there was just like some book I could have read that would have mm-hmm. told me all this stuff that I slowly acquired over time because um, even there's a bunch of stuff that I was doing that like I, I, I don't have anyone else do this stuff this is me torturing myself because I didn't I didn't yet well, know I, that I, you know I'm thinking of one part of the book where you're like I don't recommend doing yeah. this <laughs> please don't yeah. do this yeah yeah, and I and I include it because it's it's uh, it's it illustrates it illustrates versus it being a recommendation. I wish I didn't have to do all the things that I did to figure this out and make all the mistakes that I did. Um, but I will say, like the the for me the biggest uh, the the story of kind of the biggest impact was um, my uh, infamous decision to see if I could habituate to rejection by deliberately facing my um, scariest situation, my scariest rejection experiences every single day. That, <laughs> that, was, that was me in, in grad school coming across exposure therapy, being like, huh, exposure therapy, what am I, what am I most afraid of? Well, so exposure therapy is this idea, right, that if you face the thing you're afraid of, then you can habituate to it and no longer be afraid of it. Um, and I thought, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be great to no longer be afraid of rejection? But I think, as any clinician knows, right? Like you don't jump into the deep end, you know, like head first with exposure therapy. <laughs> you do not. That's you torture. do not. And <laughs> yeah, and I, so I tortured myself, and I do not torture anyone else, and I tell them, do not do this to yourself. <laughs> Do things nice and slow. Let's work with the natural experiences that come up in the pursuit of connection. Uh, but for me, I um, I just had a rule that um, I called it Rejection Month. And the idea was that I would face my deepest fear with no protection, which is <laughs> technically correct, but a, a horrible way to do things. And um, I would just do it every single day until it went away or until I was just like um, a puddle on the floor. And I was really, really scared to do this. And, oh, As you should be. This worst, is really, my really worst hard. Fear. <laughs> my worst fear. Yeah, and so I, I did it. It was incredibly, incredibly hard. However, the good news is, uh, yeah, you can. You can habituate to rejection. Because I, I, I did. I got rejection. I got every single day I went out and got rejected by like talking like whoever I saw who I was like most attracted to that day I would go up and be a stumbling bumbling anxious mess and I would still try to talk to them and my rule for myself was I had to ask them to uh to go on a date and um the idea was that that would get me rejected and it did (laughs) it did uh again and again and again every single time um and 
In the book, I call it rejection month, but in reality, two months? Oh, man. Two and a half months? Oh, man. I don't even know how long. It speaks to your yeah. uh, tenacity, right? Just like it. Correct. Kept at writing the book. <laughs> keep going. This is why keep like, going. Yeah. I never tell people to do the hardest thing because like, you'd do it once, but most people would never do it again because it'd be too overwhelming. Yeah. Well, it's horrible. It is horrible. It really is horrible. Yeah. You got to do it small, small. Yeah, we, sm- we start small. Small pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Add it up over time. It gets easier and easier and easier. Mm-hmm. Like you escalate slowly over time. I did the wrong thing and started at the very, the very top, really. Um, but I earned, uh, it's in there because I learned a lot that I want to tell people about, which is that the rejection experiences, I had so many of them, I managed to collect enough info to like generalize. And um, what I found was that people are super nice. And like the, what in my mind was like the rejection I feared. I did this because I was, I I failed to like really show who I was and I failed to try to connect with people. I failed to ask people out. I would back away from people that I found attractive and I'll do all these, all these things that was super unhelpful and very frustrating to me. And I knew that like, the last piece on, you know, the, the, the social anxiety equation was this inability to tolerate rejection. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, you know, I wanted to be able to tolerate it. And I thought if I was no longer afraid of it, then I could just be actually authentic to myself, mm-hmm. and be, be who I really was. And is that um, what you So noticed? I was willing, yeah, so I was willing to do it. And what I found was that everyone was really nice. They were not like mean the and attacking and all those like, yeah, they weren't monsters. They weren't eager to shoot me down and tell me how terrible I was. Everyone was really nice. They went out of their way to try to make me feel good, which mm-hmm. lines up with all the research that I came across. Mm-hmm. People do not want us to feel bad. They want us to feel good. They would save face for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd be amazed how many people are very eager to go on a date with me, but um, unfortunately leaving the country. Busy. A week later, like that happened. That happened. Like you think that happened once? No, that happened after like the fourth time. I'm like, maybe they're not all about to move away. <laughs> Lots of boyfriends, but everyone was really, really nice. Mm-hmm. And the the difficult stuff was internal. It was like just the the feeling of pain, right? So then, uh, what I had to work on was how to cope and tolerate discomfort, distress. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and having done that, like habituated to it, after all, it, it actually did um, have less and less impact on me. To the point of where I actually, you know, my threat system would no longer kick in. Hmm. I was able to just be the self that I am when I'm relaxed. And so it was, for me, a really, really big deal. Yeah. Makes me think of how you talk about um, that people with dating anxiety specifically and social anxiety in general see the world as such a, a social world as such a dangerous, rejecting place. And that you really talk about like mm-hmm. this warm, you know, connection or this yeah. warm social world. And so I'm curious, like, what, yeah. what does that mean? What is your concept of this like warm social world? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of what you say, like with, with social anxiety, we know from like tons of research that the belief system of those of us who are feeling socially anxious is negatively skewed. 
So we, what we believe the world to be and other people to be is a lot more negative than it actually is. And we believe ourselves to be a lot worse than we actually are. So there's this negatively skewed interpretation and expectation about the world. And based on that, the decisions we make are a lot more protective. But if you can work your way through that and kind of break all those beliefs down, you'll see that in general, like people are a lot kinder, more empathetic, nicer, eager to connect, have suffering of their own, deal with all their own stuff. It's, it's, a, it's part of what makes group therapy so good, right? Is you get to, in a group, have other people reveal who they are and you get to see, oh, wait, they're, they're kind, they're insecure, they're vulnerable, they, they have all these aspects to them. We assume in this sort of the, the socially anxious, blinkered um, threat view of the world um, that people are really paying attention to us, looking for our flaws, eager to connect, eager to gossip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so these evil people. Um, Which keeps us, So right? that's, a, that's a really big shift. That's what helps us, like, use those safety behaviors, right, and avoid being vulnerable because yeah. I believe that, like, if they knew my vulnerabilities, they would just use them against me. And what you're saying totally. is, like, the, the opposite is actually true. Yeah, the opposite's true. And that... Um, when people are feeling, you know, relaxed, like the threat system's not turned on, and you're being friendly and curious, just like the real, the most basic social skills, friendly and curious about the other person and willing to share a bit of the self, people respond really well to that. People reciprocate. They tend to give us back what we're putting out. So if we send out warmth and curiosity, we tend to get warmth and curiosity back. And like there's really interesting research in like the loneliness, the world of loneliness, where people in those two different mindsets will look at the same situation and see something different. Mm-hmm. They'll see the same person and interpret that person either as, oh, a friendly person who's looking to connect or someone who is probably going to reject them. And that will trigger either approach or avoidance. Mm-hmm. And so this warm social world is really you, you get into this different mindset once the threat system is turned off where you look and you you feel warmth. You see warmth in others. You expect warmth from others. And so you engage from that perspective and it tends to come back to you. Mm-hmm. Not from everybody, but when we do you know, behavioral experiments, exposures in, in the world, we send people out to test this. What we get back is not a lot of negative responses. We tend to get neutral or positive responses. I mean, kind of like what you're the saying. The bulk of the world, neutral or positive. Like, yeah, not these women were not like, how dare you ask me out? It was like, okay, maybe yeah. it's neutral. As if like, someone like me would talk yes. to someone like you. Yes, it wasn't like, okay, maybe it didn't result in like this perfect date or whatever, but it was this like, I'm still going to mm-hmm. try to be kind right and kind yeah yeah even in my rejection i'm working so hard to make it not a rejection (laughs) yes working so hard to be kind and Mm -hmm. if you talk to people and ask them you'll they'll tell you the same thing like oh yeah i feel so bad when this happens and i like i try to make the person feel better if you've been on the other end of that 
you're probably not like, oh, go away, you're terrible, I'm too good for you. You're not going to do that. You are going to have some kind of nice, nice probably excuse, right? Mm-hmm. Because people want to be good, have been raised to be good. And not everyone is. Not everyone right? is. Like, sure. You know, like somewhere, you know, you, but they are, they're the, like I had someone once who's like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't like your face. So those, those exist, those exist, but they're the exception that proves a rule. Mm-hmm. Like of all of those, of all those rejections I had, one was like that. People were nice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and a lot of like when we are treating dating anxiety and social anxiety, we're trying to like there is this, this string of beliefs that I call the social anxiety equation. This string of like beliefs about ourselves that turn that threat system on. And in treatment, we really want to turn those beliefs off so that the threat system won't turn on. And then people can see the real self mm-hmm. and we can have connections. Mm-hmm. Sure. And just sorry, I was just thinking about it too. Like in that kind of social yeah. contract, like that you're talking about, of I'm a little bit, a little bit vulnerable and curious mm-hmm. and warm, and then the other person accepts mm-hmm. that, and then they in turn, right? Like it seems like yeah. you kind of violated that social contract in asking all these people out, right? Because oh yeah, you immediately <laughs> ask them to be really vulnerable right and go out with somebody they didn't even know and say yes right you, you didn't yeah. start with like hi let's you know have no, a it's common not. It's activity terrible idea. or but that's that's what i mean it's like where it could be this belief of like they were rejecting but in fact you know in thinking about like how relationships form you were mm-hmm. the one who kind of violated oh i was a hundred percent the one who violated like if if the goal from this had been to have uh, actually date people yes. and connect with people, it would have looked very, very different, right? I, I was, I was clearly breaking that, yeah, you know, that slow progression, the mm-hmm. showing a bit of the self, seeing if it's accepted, seeing mm-hmm. if they reciprocate, yeah, which is like paying attention to the person, mm-hmm. but, yeah, yeah, paying attention it, to yeah. what they offer, and it's allowing mm-hmm. them to move down at a pace that they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Versus me, like going boom, right, right down here. That's way too fast, right? People will oftentimes be like, "Oh, I, I don't know if someone, I don't know if someone's into me or not, so I can't show these things." Like mm-hmm. they want to know that the other person likes them before they're going to take a risk. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't work either, right? Because it is this mutual shifting down over time. Yeah, and you got to take a little bit of a risk, show a bit of the self, yeah. and then it will be reciprocated back, but not totally. everything all at once. Yeah. How do they know if they like you if they don't know anything about you? Yeah. And, and they haven't had a chance. Yeah, you haven't had a chance to. Uh, also, it's asking way too much, right? So part of this slow like progression model is an assumption within that is the other person is giving they're investing into you versus any of the million other things that they could be doing, right? So the it, it's a, it tends to be a pretty reasonable signal of how someone is feeling about you is their, um, whether they invest. So 
if they're investing in listening to what you're saying and then accepting it, then they're invested some. If they're talking to you for a longer period of time, they're investing all that time they're talking to somebody else. Mm-hmm. If they're sharing things from themselves, they're investing into you as well. Mm-hmm. And um, what kind of investment are you asking for if you, sure. <laughs> if you like go from starting to talk to somebody and then ask, hey, will you spend three hours with me in mm-hmm. this night? Why on earth would they do that? Sure. Just like if you were to ask somebody for a quarter versus asking them for like a thousand dollars, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't, you don't know me at all. And you're going to mm-hmm. give me three hours of your time. Mm-hmm. No, of course not. Of course not. A hundred percent. I was breaking the, uh, the connection model. Yeah. Well, and that's what, one thing I love about this book too, because it does, like you said, it's, I, I came to the U S had been in a very different culture and environment and then was, expected to know how this whole dating thing works. And I think that is great to have a book that kind of explains for everyone, right? Kind of how this all works a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a really like useful model for everybody on relationships. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's a, uh, I don't want to oversold that piece of the book because it's, it explains a bit how the, how dating process works. But a whole lot more how the how the connection process works and yeah. how the social anxiety prevents that connection. Sure, but I even yeah. think even with people maybe not with like specific social anxiety, I think dating is hard, and so I think a lot of these concepts it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. are applicable, right? I think people even without social anxiety, I get it. Yeah, diagnosable still use a lot of safety behaviors and have you know a lot of anxious beliefs about because it's a vulnerable situation, right? Just like. Just like uh, job interviews and mm-hmm. giving a, a performance or a speech, right? It, it requires vulnerability. And so I think, yeah, lots of people it's use scary. very same yeah. safety behaviors well, I, and I, such. I will tell you, if you end up reading in the book, you'll discover that all those protective things you do make connection less likely. Mm-hmm. People really like genuineness they like openness they like you to be showing the true self even with imperfections and flaws people connect to that that's that's what we most easily connect to and all those things we think we're doing that are like making the person more likely to like us and we're only showing these parts and not those parts counterproductive we're harder to connect to honestly like not as likable and more anxious as oh, a result. The, the irony of it, this thing that you're doing to try to... I know, right? ...protect yourself is the thing that's getting you in trouble. Well, yeah, there, yeah. There the problem things? is the protection, yeah. Oh, um, yes, right? The problem is not the problem it's trying to tell you it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, it's the same thing from all anxiety disorders. The protection is the problem. Mm-hmm. If you drop the, prene- the protection, then things will improve. Is there anything that we haven't really touched on about this book that you want us, you want to make sure gets addressed? You know, I'm always, I'm always really bad with this question in job interviews. You know, the, do you have any questions for us? Anything else you haven't brought up? I don't know. (laughs) Or any like specific tidbit we didn't talk about today that you want talked about? Not particularly? I mean, I mean, I mean, I I guess I would say, I guess this has a lot of, um, 
it's got a lot of examples in it. Like there's there's a lot of research and a lot of these kind of the theory of like understanding, like this is how social anxiety and dating anxiety work because probably you don't know how they work. Sure. This is how they work, which is very powerful to know. Mm-hmm. Here's a bunch of research that is like showing you I'm not just making this up. Mm-hmm. And it is the research that's helped me form this. I've built this, you know, idea for my, this is my personal way of seeing things over the course of 20 years, right? And it's full of lots of examples um, because I need that to stay entertained when reading things. So it's got my examples, many of which are embarrassing. Um, And then the examples from people that I work with, which I would argue are less embarrassing and uh, (laughs) more more like uh, inspiring. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so there's there's all those things in it um, because I think this is this is the best way kind of to learn right because the the reason like this book doesn't have everything and when i was trying to write it i would keep being told you can't write everything so what's in here is what i think is really useful in the book um if you were starting out trying to treat your social anxiety or especially your dating anxiety then the first thing you have to do is identify like in anytime we're treating anything identifying what's going on is the single most important thing. So when you read a book like this, whether it's my book or someone else's like social anxiety book, the idea is that you'll be reading things and the examples that are in there and what they're talking about, these are common and they'll probably like trigger you to be like, oh wait, that happens to me or I think that or I tend to do that. It helps you identify, oh, these are my beliefs. Like these are the, this is what my social anxiety equation looks like. These are my particular beliefs. Oh, and these are the safety behaviors that I'm doing as a result. Because I believe that, you know, I have these problems and that people are going to judge it in this way and they're going to respond in this way. I need to do all these safety behaviors. And that process of identifying helps to kind of give us a bit of a gap. And as you figure those out, you can start to make changes. Like in the book, those beliefs that most people tend to have, um, if you read a book like mine or someone else's, you will get all the counter information. Like you'll get the research studies and you get the examples that will make you question and be skeptical of those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And ho- hopefully have enough encouragement in there to start to kind of test it out for yourself. Yeah, make some different choices. Yeah, and then when you do that, you get to have that different feedback that comes in. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, our emotional brains learn through experience. Well, so, and I love that yeah. in your book that, like, it, I think we need to know the why. I think humans love to understand the why, right? Like, that, that's very mm-hmm. important for us to decide to do the, the how or the what. Um, and so yeah. I think it gives that, that why explanation, but in a very, like, digestible way. You know, it's not like you're reading just a research article. And so I think you do a good job of uh, taking all this research and making it more easily understandable. And then, yeah, I think those those personal experiences and clinical experiences um, make it really relatable. I actually have a client who read a book on anxiety and she was like, oh my gosh, I thought this was like totally just me, but apparently all these things I'm doing, uh, it's not just me. These are pretty common because it was exactly mm-hmm. the stuff that I'm experiencing. Like, yes. 
yes, anxiety wants you to think this is just you and it's you're alone. And so getting to see, oh, it's not just me. Other people experience yeah, well, the same and, thing. And I would argue, especially with um, social anxiety and dating anxiety, since shame is such a core component and people are not talking about like if you have a lot of shame you don't tend to talk about your shame mm-hmm. if you have social anxiety you don't tend to talk about your social anxiety which is also why i made the very anxiety provoking <laughs> decision to talk about all my experiences so that it would be like de-shaming that was this, is, my very this next is common question. humanity oh really <laughs> how has this been you know on a personal note Obviously, like you're talking about and writing about and researching social anxiety and the importance of vulnerability. And this is really vulnerable to put yourself out there and to write a book and to write such a personal book. And so how has this experience been for you? Um, it, was, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was a lot of uh, social anxiety exposure. Um, you know, like this, I, I do think of like psychological growth as sort of the purpose in life. And so it's a journey. You're on this journey. I got to move to a different level of social anxiety <laughs> exposure. Oh, you know, I'm like, from like, from I feel like, ah, oh, you know, my life, I'm not really having much of this, you know, helping other people with it. And then, uh, yeah, so it turns out releasing a, uh, a book, help, help, it helped me find a new, <laughs> a new, uh, piece that had not yet been expressed and uh worked through and exposed um so yeah i got i got to experience a whole lot of um Mm -hmm. of anxiety um and in fact i believe uh there will be an upcoming podcast Podcast talking about about imposter syndrome (laughs) which is social anxiety in this particular kind of context Mm -hmm. um so yeah like tons and tons of exposure um but i will say Boy, I feel amazing after having done it. Mm, right? Like the, Tolerating discomfort in the service of your values on yeah. a giant scale. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I did something that I really care about that, that is a value for me. Um, and I, yeah, tolerated a lot of anxiety and shame in order to do it. And on the other side of it, I feel great. So. Uh, okay. My last big question. Where can people find your book and in what formats? Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, so it's available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's available internationally uh, at Amazon and the Amazon related places. So um, you just go to whatever your local Amazon is and look up me, Thomas Smithyman, or um, Dating Without Fear, Overcome Social Anxiety and Connect. There's Kindle version. Um, if you feel like hiding it so no one can see what you're reading on the train, um, there's a paperback if you feel like proudly showing it to the world. Um, there's an audiobook out in case you want to hear me give you 12 hours worth of uh, therapy on this. Um, and you can um, go to Anxious in Austin podcast and I believe you have five or six years worth of uh, <laughs> intermittent <laughs> podcasts on there, and and the YouTube channel, which is just just Thomas Smithyman PhD, um, a YouTube. Uh, so that's how you can get the book, or 
more stuff if you're not like sick of me at this point. I love it. Well, thank you for letting me interview you and thanks for sharing this with the world. I think it's so exciting. And well, thank, so thank you to you for, thanks for you for, uh, for being such an encouraging and helpful part of the process. You will find uh, Dr. Stout is mentioned several times in the book. Um, so look, look out for that too. Bonus uh, points if you can yes. find her in there. So excited to <laughs> finally be a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the last thing I'll say on this is... Uh, I think both personally and culturally, um, self-promoting or telling people about this stuff is this is this is this is another area of exposure for me. Sure, I would really love to not do it. I would really love to just have it be out there and never tell anybody. But because my other value of helping people, and I think it's really good and is helpful to people, definitely. Um, this is me doing another exposure mm-hmm. by telling people what's in it and that I think they should read it. And honestly too, this in in the service of that value of helping, go get it if it seems like it'll be helpful to you. Or if there's someone else that you know who you think could benefit from this, because I think it is so common and really not talked about, maybe consider sending it to them or sending a link to them or something. I, I know I've gotten some feedback from people that they have done that. They've sent it to people who cool. liked it and appreciated it. Thank you very much for listening to all this. We'll see you next time.